Hey, take your Bibles now and open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We love to celebrate people here at South Beach Church as well. We can't celebrate everybody in the same way, just too many people, so we celebrate everybody. But one of the people that we want to celebrate is having a birthday tomorrow, and uh, he's turning 45. I don't want to embarrass him, and so his initials are Esai Taylor. And uh, Esai Taylor, and he's in the back right there, so everyone just stand and turn. We're going to sing happy birthday to Esai. He loves this. Everyone stand and turn. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Esai. He loves it. Happy birthday to you. Man, thanks for doing that for me, guys. Sorry about that, Esai. Sorry about that. Forgive me. Forgive me. Esai and I went to high school together uh, many, many years ago, and we uh, played football together and grew up. He's one year older than I am, but it's just such a joy to be serving with him and so many other people at our church that have been in this community for so many years. So thankful for you, Esai. Happy birthday. We'll celebrate tomorrow as well. And I'll make the second service sing to you also, so don't skip. Um, Hey, anyway, take your Bibles now and open up to Philippians. And we're going to read a few verses that we've already read, and I want to encourage you guys because that's Paul's heart is to encourage the church. The church at Philippi had been radically saved. They, of any people shouldn't be saved, they were radically saved because God wanted to use them, God wanted to do a work in them, God wanted to do a work through them. Now, this is the 9 a.m. service, you guys aren't quite as radical as the 11, you're certainly not as radical as the 6, but how many of you guys were radically saved by Jesus Christ? Raise up your hand if he did a radical work in your life. Okay, a lot of you guys, you're, you shouldn't be here. And now that you're saved though, the work has just begun. Jesus did for you what no one else could do. Jesus did for you what only he could do. But now that you're saved, you need to do only what you can do as, at, based on what he's done for you. How many of you guys realize that now that you're saved, now the work really begins? Yeah. And it's from a firm foundation. It's for eternity. And it's from victory. The margins of error are actually really slim because of what Jesus has done. But nonetheless, check your pulse. you got a purpose. There's things for you to do. Paul simply says it this way. Now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's time to get to work. It's time to take the field, if you would, that God's provided for you in Christ and tend the field and see that it produces fruit. This is what makes life exciting after getting saved is that he's preordained for you and I to walk in good works. How many of you guys know that? The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that you were saved not of works lest anyone should boast. It was a gift of free grace through faith. God gave it to you. And then Ephesians 2.10 says why? So that way there's some good works for you to walk in. There's things that God has preordained that only you could do. And the way that you and I are to do that, he says in verse 12, read it with me. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Here it is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is a lifelong pursuit, isn't it? Until the day you die, God has more things to reveal to you, to do in you, and to do through you. This is good news, especially for you who are wondering what life's all about, why you're still here, what's going on. God wants to continue to work in you and through you. Remember the great book of Nehemiah? Remember Nehemiah? How many of you guys read Nehemiah before? Okay, he's one of the shortest guys in the Bible, Nehemiah, just a short guy. Not as short as Bildad the shoe height, though. Bildad the shoe height, you know Bildad the shoe height? Okay, you'll get it next week. (laughs) 
What were we talking about Nehemiah? Oh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Remember when he was fighting and building the walls and the enemies came after him and they had the walls all intact. It was a good day. And in one hand, they had trowels. They kept building. In the other hand, they had swords. They had work to do and they had a cause to fight for. And if you're a believer, the walls of your salvation have been built up. Cool, good job. But there's still work to do. There's still a fight to engage and there's a brotherhood to enjoy. We're going to see all those things. And Paul helps us in these last couple verses. We've seen it over the last couple weeks. He says, work out your salvation. The best way to do that is to quit complaining. Don't murmur. Amen. Amen. Don't murmur. Don't complain. Don't grumble. Don't dispute. Don't be a bellyacher. If, if Jesus Christ has done everything for you that you could never do for yourself, what more do you have to complain about? I mean, we could make up some stuff, couldn't we? People always ask me how it's going. I say, it's going great. I could complain, I could whine, but it doesn't help. And when you complain, when you whine, when you murmur, when you grumble, it really actually doesn't help solve your situation at all. If it did, we should, but it doesn't, so we shouldn't. And he says, don't complain, don't murmur. And then he goes on to say, if we do that, we're going to be like light shining in a crooked and perverse world. How many of you guys realize that Jesus saved you in order to use you as a witness to the world around you that Jesus is real? And one of the greatest ways to be used is to be different than the world. Not just in your holiness and not just in the things you don't do, but in the way you carry yourself and the way you see things. It's not that you as a believer need to try and be a light. You already are a light. You guys know that? You're the light of the world. Here's the real challenge though. How bright is that light from day to day? You are the light. It's kind of like windows. Your windows ever get dirty here on the Oregon coast? And when the windows get dirty on the Oregon coast, the light doesn't shine through just like the lighthouse. They need to keep those windows clean so the light, the light has no problem shining, but some of the things on the outside get in the way. So too, Paul says, don't complain, stop whining, and you are going to be used as a light. He tells us how to do that. Verse 16, he says, holding fast to the word of life. That's the scriptures. If you're a man of the word, if you're a woman of the word, if you know the word, you truly will be able to navigate through this life without getting all mucked up in the things around us. But he goes on to say that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Two more things and we're going to move into new territory. Paul also says, guys, you got to figure this out because if you don't, it's as if I ran in vain. I did a work in Philippi. I was beaten in Philippi. We planted that church at Lydia's house, things were going good, and I need you guys to stay faithful. Otherwise, what I've done will be done in vain. How many of you guys are restaurant owners or business owners, and you've ever raised up a new employee, you trained somebody, you taught them everything you know, and you gave them all your secrets, and you really poured into them, they said, I don't want to work for you anymore, and they quit. And it's all in vain, and it's hard, and it's difficult. And Paul says, I don't want you guys to quit. I want you guys to keep going. And from a pastor to my friends, I'll tell you what, as I see men and women keep going in the things of God, when you hear the word and you go through life and you navigate the storms and you keep going, roots down, fruits out, there's no greater joy. Years and years ago, I was part of a ministry called Jesus Seekers, and it was a college-age ministry, and I was leading it and teaching it, and I would get these young men and women come to SOU, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and man, they'd be part of the ministry and pouring into them, and then they'd say, hey, I'm leaving now. I graduated or I transferred, and I would have this kind of revolving door ministry, and it used to frustrate me. Oh, i just get some good guys and gals on my team, and probably they'd get out of here, and the Lord reminded me. He said, Luke, I'm using you in their lives to get them started, to get them going. And then I'm going to send them where I want to use them. I'm going to replant them in Alaska. I'm going to replant them in Beaverton. I'm going to replant them in their hometown. And here's Paul. He was in Philippi, and he poured into this church. And he says, guys, 
please don't blow it. Please keep going. Don't stop. Paul wrote them a letter from jail. He's thinking about their well-being and how cool it is for folks to come to the Oregon coast and to see a work here in Newport. We get visitors here at South Beach Church all the time. They walk in here and they see you guys. They say, what in the world is going on? It's because you guys are choosing to let your roots grow down and your fruits come out and you're choosing to trust in the Lord and be the light. He says one more thing though. He says that I may rejoice, verse 16, in the day of Christ that I have not run or labored in vain. Stop right there, eyes up here. Did you know that Paul had a hope of the imminent return of Jesus Christ? Every generation from the first century has had a hope of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That is, for every generation, they've believed that that could be the generation that Jesus would return, that they would live their lives in light of Jesus coming back one day. And in the first century, guess what? Jesus didn't come back. And in the second century, he didn't come back. And in the third century, in the fourth century, in the fifth century, and every generation raises up and says, maybe it's going to be our generation. Maybe he's going to come back. And when you have that hope of his return, the blessed assurance, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 3, those who have this hope, they purify themselves. You live differently. You understand that this could be the day that Jesus might tear open the clouds, descend and take his bride home in the rapture of the church and begin then to judge this world in the seven years of tribulation. I believe this could happen any minute. Does anybody else believe me this could happen in a minute? Okay, any, any minute. There are no more prophecies left to be fulfilled that would prohibit Jesus from returning right now. There are certain folks that believe that Jesus is going to return at the end of the tribulation period. I believe Jesus could return whenever he wants. Amen? Amen? Yeah, any, you know, Hey, you didn't tell me you were coming, I'm pussy, you know. He can come anytime he wants. And Paul says, I have this blessed hope of his return that I may glory and rejoice in the day of Christ Jesus. Verses 17 and 18, this is where we left off last week. He says, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, he says, I rejoice, and I want you guys to rejoice with me. Look at verse 18. For the same reason rejoice, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, I'm looking forward to the day. Looking forward to the day when the Lord returns. I'm looking forward to the day when I die. And he says, I'm excited about these things. And he says, I want you guys to be excited about these things. And I want us all to be excited about these things. Now, in this world, things kind of go up and down, don't they? Just the price of gas is not going down. It's just, just going up. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? You should take an offering just for gas. You know, it's good. Things are going crazy. It's getting crazy. Guess what? You're crazy. It's not near as crazy as Paul's crazy. You're crazy. I don't want to be mean. You're crazy. is pretty crazy. You're going through stuff, not just high gas prices. We have problems here. Your problems will never be Paul crazy. Okay, this guy was in jail. He's like, oh, by the way, I, I might die here. I'm actually pretty sure about it. He said that in verse 17, 18. But I'm fired up. I'm excited. Would you guys be excited with me? You're like, kind of. You know, it sounds a little weird, Paul. Like, and this is his challenge because he saw eternity and it was separated from his present reality. And you and I, the Bible says this, it is appointed unto man once to and then the judgment. There's appointments. We have appointments. It's going to happen. It shouldn't freak you out. It shouldn't scare you. As a matter of fact, because God has spoken to the reality of life and death and the afterlife, because of that, we should have all the confidence we need in this world. The rest of the world's making stuff up and they have these theories. Well, once we die, there's this, you know, eternal sleep and la, 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 nothing, you know, so nothing happens. The Bible says, oh, no, no. There's a whole bunch 
to look forward to. There's a whole bunch to prepare for. And no matter what you're going through in this world, you can trust in the Lord and you can actually rejoice. Verse 18 again, he says, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. God's for you, not against you. In this world, you're gonna have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Man, yesterday was a busy day for me. Anybody have a busy day yesterday, Saturday? Busy day for me. I got up, had to do a bunch of things, and, and then I was in my garage, and I was playing with one of the power strips in my garage, and I put the power out in all Lincoln County. I can't believe it. <laughs> I just want to apologize for that. There's too many, one too many things, you know. I was trying to get the blower going, you know. And, and actually, I was at J.C. Market. Where were you guys when the power went? I was at J.C. Market there, and I was in line, and the power goes up, you know, and, and I looked out and saw the power lights. They were out, too, and we knew it was bad, and, Luckily, they had a generator there at J.C. Market so they could take our money. The, you know, the power grid came on and they could run my car. And, and it was, I was on my way to a memorial, to be honest. I was on my way to a memorial. And I had to come to the church here first and, and I had to set up for a wedding that I was doing right after the memorial. And after the memorial and then the wedding, I had a soccer game to coach. It was a busy day, all day long. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you what, though, as busy as the day was, okay, I chose to believe that God was for me, not against me. I chose to believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And to be able to go from the spectrum of marrying people and burying people and then yelling at your team to score goals and doing all these things, having my mind stayed upon him allowed me to be at perfect peace. And I want to encourage us, no matter what you're going through, no matter what spectrum of life you're in, God is for you, not against you. And it could feel like the power's going out. It could feel like there's all kinds of chaos and all kinds of confusion and all kinds of stoppages in your life. But we put our trust in him. As a matter of fact, let's segue now into new territory. And we're going to cover verses 19 through 30 today. We're going to finish chapter 2. We're doing it. You guys, you're laughing over here, laughing over here. We're going to do it. Trust me. As a matter of fact, speaking of trust, look at verse 19. Paul segues into this next phrase. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know of your state. Guys, let's just camp out real quick on that verse. And as a matter of fact, to join it together, jump down to verse 24. He says, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come trust shortly. Two times in just a few verses, Paul declares, I trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord right now. He's in jail, incarcerated, and yet he's chosen to put his trust in one who is bigger than his situations, his circumstances, and his trials. He trusts, and this might be one of the greatest sentences in all the Bible, I trust the Lord. Now again, Paul's in jail. He didn't just like find a key to get out. He didn't just get a greater lawyer. Nothing changed. Gas prices didn't just drop. He's rejoicing because this might end in death. He's rejoicing because Jesus might return. He's rejoicing because this is going to be to their end and work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And he decides to say, I trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. Do you know that the very center verse in all the Bible, if you were to go from Genesis to the middle or from Revelation back to the middle, anybody know what the center verse is? Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. And the very middle of that is Psalm 118, which is the very center of the Bible. And Psalm 118, verse 8, says this. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Just leave that up there and just look at that. The very center of the Bible. What's the Bible all about? Uh, it's right there. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I, that's, what you, that's, what you, that's what I heard you say. I heard you say that trust the Lord. 
I trust the Lord. This is Paul's backbone. This is his foundation. He believes this. And if anybody should be spazzing out, wigging out, tripping out, or quitting, it's Paul. But instead he says, I trust the Lord. And so no matter how dark it is in your situation, what's the answer? Trust in the Lord. And let me just put a challenge out there, though, because it's easy to say you trust the Lord, isn't it? Paul trusts the Lord not passively, where he's just sitting back doing nothing. He trusts the Lord actively. Look what it says in verse 19. Let's take the context out of that phrase. But I trust in the Lord Jesus here to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know of your state. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul says, I'm in jail. You know what I'm doing here? Planning stuff, getting stuff done. Aren't you going to be executed soon? Doesn't matter. Aren't you in jail and incarcerated and chained to a Roman all day long? Doesn't matter. I'm still doing things, and there's a life change principle here, folks. Write this down. Never forget this. Okay, don't wait till things get better to make plans for the future. We do this in microcosms, don't we? Things get weird. You know, some, some weird, just small things. We're, well, as soon as this gets better, I'll start to think of the future. We get stuck, we get buried. Walls get built up around us. This thing is too big. It's insurpassable, it's insurmountable, we can't see beyond this. Well, as soon as we get a new president, as soon as we get a new pastor, as soon as I get this health thing, as soon as I get this thing figured out, then I'll start to plan for the future. Here's Paul, incarcerated, sentenced to death. He's like, yeah, it's probably gonna end poorly for me, but you know what? I'm planning stuff. I'm doing stuff. This takes a heavenly vision. This takes a spiritual anointing. But it also takes a conviction for you and me today to make this life change principle ours, to not wait for things to get better, to make plans for the future. Don't wait till things get easier to take the next right steps. This is for everything in your life, by the way. This is relationships, it's body, mind, spirit, it's everything. Don't wait. Make plans. The Bible actually says if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. Do you have any desires right now to see things happen, to be a part of something, to, to do something? Well, I gotta wait till this happens. I can't do that. Right Paul says, I trust the Lord. And if by any means, shortly, I'm sending Timothy. I'm doing stuff. Paul had seen the faithfulness of God in Philippi, the church he's writing to. He'd seen the faithfulness of God in Rome, even though it didn't go the way he had planned. You guys know that the way Paul got to Rome wasn't the way he had planned. He got there on a prison ship, arrested, falsely accused, mistreated. But God gave him a desire to get to Rome. And here he's in Rome. He's like, wow, I didn't think I was coming this way. How many guys got to the point in your life right now and it's not the way you anticipated? Like you're like, oh man, that's crazy. I was thinking of that question last night sitting at my desk thinking my life is it's crazy. And yet here I am right now and I wouldn't have been able to pin it out or plan it out but God knew exactly and so does God know the future then right now in your life does he know what he's doing yeah. is he good is he for you is he not against you and you can make those steps forward the Bible also tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 3 to not trust in our own wisdom but to lean on the Lord and commit our ways to him and he'll make our path straight okay Paul didn't trust in himself but he trusted in the Lord. He was making plans. And I just love Paul's tenacity. Okay, he didn't quit. He kept doing stuff. And I kind of want to, let me just give you some context here for understanding for the rest of the text. In chapter two, Paul starts with Jesus as an example. Verse five, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he talks about Jesus. Pretty, pretty high bar set, pretty high example. Then he talks about his own life. 
as an example and as a witness, as one who responds to Jesus. And so we're looking at Jesus and we're looking at Paul. How many of you guys, when you look at Jesus and you look at Paul, you're like, well, that's, that's Jesus. Of course he did it right. And that's Paul. Paul was the anointed, chosen apostle to the Gentiles. He's a pretty big deal. He wrote the Bible, Luke. You guys haven't even read Romans yet. He wrote Romans. And now what Paul's going to do in the rest of this text, he's going to highlight two more individuals by way of example for you and me, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Two more homies that God chose and God used in those days, and Paul wants to highlight them. And here's the point. As a pastor and as a teacher and as a Bible reader, God's using this chapter to say, guys, anybody can do it. Nobody is without excuse. Paul didn't quit. And how many of us are tempted to quit at times in our life? Things get hard. Things stop. Paul keeps planning. He doesn't quit. Instead of burning out, or should I say, instead of rusting out, he decides to go into the very end, even at the risk of burning out. He's making plans. And he's doing so by way of witness. Right now, people are watching you. They're looking at your life. They're looking at the situations you're going through the challenges, the ailments, not just the ones you're going through personally, but the ones we're going through collectively. It's pretty easy to get mad at somebody. It's pretty easy to have an opinion about something. It's pretty easy to be frustrated. And when you as a man or woman choose to be light and to shine, hold fast to the Word of God, look for the return of Jesus Christ, don't complain about anything, God uses you as a witness. And most people aren't impressed with Christians okay, until they get tested a little bit, until you're going through a certain situation. So you're being squeezed. Christians are kind of like tea bags, aren't they? You don't really know what kind of tea it is until it's put in hot water. You might not even know what kind of tea bag you are until you're put in hot water. Like, oh no, I thought I don't want to be Earl Grey. You know, Earl Grey's the worst. You know, thought it was something else. I don't, nothing wrong with Earl Grey. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. God's testing you though on purpose in order to show others who He is. Look what Paul also says here. Guys, there's a lot in verse 19. We're going to hustle in just a minute, I promise. But Paul says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know of your state. Paul is in jail. And you know what he's thinking about? His friends in Philippi. This convicts me. He really has a deep concern for other people. Even in the midst, he could be saying to them, hey, I'm writing this letter to you. Here's my request. Here's my address. Give me some more money. Give me some more stuff. Give me some more help. He's like, dude, I'm, just, I'm actually I'm so concerned. Remember when he started this church 11 years earlier? He started the church at Philippi. He hadn't been there. Epaphroditus showed up with a good report. He's like, oh, I'm so excited about what's going on 800 miles away in Philippi. This is so exciting. And when you find that secret vein of joy in your life, it's not just about yourself, but it's about Jesus, others, and yourself when you truly are concerned more for others than yourself. Some people are more gifted this way, aren't they? You ever met somebody that's just honestly more gifted in caring about other people than themselves? I think Regina Brandes is like that. She's actually in my notes right here. says Regina Brandes is one of those people. Some people are more gifted. The Bible instructs all of us to be that way. Other people walk into the room and they brighten up the room. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? They truly authentically want to know. Some people want to walk in the room and say, hey, let me tell you how I'm doing. Yeah. And maybe there's pure motives in there. They want to encourage people. Paul says, I'm just so excited about you guys. I want to know how you're doing. And when you realize that, when you learn that secret joy... That's when the greatest fulfillment in your life comes. Let's keep moving, though, in verse 20. He says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now, guys, if you're really studying the book of Philippians with me and you want to know what Paul's going through here and some of the characters involved, you really need to pay attention. 
Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you, and I want to know how you're doing, but there's no one else to go. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Look at verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Paul had lots of men and women around him in the ministry. As a matter of fact, when he wrote to the Romans, he listed 26 individuals within that church. There's so many people in the church that day. And yet when it came to being in Rome, he's like, hey guys, I need to send someone to Philippi. Who wants to go? Paul said, nobody, nobody wants to go to Philippi? Have you seen the gas prices, Paul? Are you for real, dude? You know? I don't know what, the, what was really going on there. But Paul says some heavy, I'm just going to call them offensive words. Read verse 20 again and ask yourself what he means here. He says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Man, if I was one of Paul's buddies, I'd be like, whoa, bro, say it to my face. You know, if you really wanted me to do something, I would have done it. He says, no one wants to get involved. And let me just give you a contrast. There's Philippians 2, 21, which I just read to you. Then there's Philippians 1, 21. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 2.21 says, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And what I think Paul's doing here is he's being honest with the frustrations of ministry. Nobody wanted to serve in that moment. Nobody wanted to get involved. Nobody had that type of calling on their life, but Timothy did. And he says something very complimentary about Timothy. He says that this person is like-minded and he will sincerely care for your state. Timothy was a real pastor. Timothy loved people. Timothy cared about people. He wanted them to do well. He gave himself to the ministry. It goes on talking about Timothy here. He says, verse 22, but you all know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Stop right there again. And eyes up here. Timothy was proven in his character and they in Philippi knew him. They'd seen him in the first missionary journey with Paul and he had served them in such a way where even Paul was able to say, man, this guy's been tested. This guy stuck through it in the beginning, through the middle, and to the end. You guys know that when Paul went on his first missionary journey, he went to Lerby, or he went to Lystra and to Derby, and he preached there, and the Bible says that he was kicked out of the city, and they killed him, and rose back from the dead, and he went on to preach in that circuit. And five years later, when he went back there, he found who? Timotheus. Timothy. And he was serving, and he was faithful, and he was well-spoken of in the community. And Paul needed a companion. He said, hey, Timothy, you want to go with me? And Timothy said, yeah, I'd love to get in the ministry with you. And Paul said, you know what? Your mom's a Jew and your dad's a Gentile. And so because of that, you weren't circumcised when you were born. And you're over here in this kind of Roman province in Lystra and Derby. You know what would be beneficial is if you got circumcised uh, right now and, and, and joined the ministry. And you know what Timothy said? Sounds good. <laughs> you can look it up later. <laughs> and he got circumcised. As a young man, like not as an eight-day-old baby, which was like custom. And I wonder if it was the first test of Timothy's heart towards serving the gospel, towards serving with Paul. Paul wasn't the easiest person to, to work with, right? You guys know this. Paul burned out Barnabas. Paul burned out John Mark. Pa Paul was a go-getter. He was a bowling ball. Like it would not stop. His desire was to see the entire world saved. And if you wanted to run in that guy's wake, you wanted to be behind him, you had to be all in. And so Paul looks at Timothy and says, hey, you, gotta, you, you should be circumcised if we're going to make this thing effective. He said, okay, let's do it. And he continued to serve. Do you know that 
Timothy's mentioned 26 times in the scriptures. He has two books written to him. And yet there's no direct quotes from him. I was thinking it through in my mind. I was like, is there any quotes? And I've talked the book of Acts dozens and dozens of times. I was like, wait, I don't think Timothy ever has any speaking lines. We don't ever get to hear this guy talk. We don't ever get to, he's got a couple books written to him and he's mentioned, but he was fully committed to the things of God, even to the point of sacrifice, to the point of giving everything. And Paul uses him as an example. He starts with Jesus, then he puts himself, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, there's this guy, Timothy. His dad's a Gentile, his mom's a Jew. He wasn't even born in Jerusalem. He got saved in the mission field, and he's all in. He's given everything to Jesus. And within every person here sitting here this morning or watching at home, there's a certain response that the Lord demands from you in your life to, be, to follow him and to be used by him. Some sacrifice involved. And you've all done this, by the way. Each one of us have sacrificed something. We responded to the Lord. He said, okay, follow me. In order to follow the Lord, you have to leave something behind. Amen? Okay? Me and Jan. In order, I'll say it again. In order to follow the Lord, you have to leave something behind. And he calls you outside of your comfort zone. And he calls you to commit. And he calls you to sacrifice. And he calls you to serve. And if you read the scriptures, he honestly calls you to die. To give of yourself and say, it's not about you. Sacrifice. I've told this story so many times before. I'll, I'll use it again, though. When I was in Ashland as a young person before I was married, maybe 22 years old, I was working at a restaurant waiting tables and making good money. And there was a Christian company that needed someone to manage their coffee house. And so they were looking for a young person to run the coffee house. And they heard about me. And so they recruited me through a third party and said, would you pray about running this coffee house for this Christian family that needs help in this way? And I was making good money, having a great time waiting tables. And so I rejected the offer and said, well, I don't want to do that. I don't have fun, you know, over here. And it took three or four offers. And finally, my really good, maybe best friend at the time, Jeremy Haskell said, Luke, it's twice the responsibility and half the pay. It's totally from the Lord. <laughs> and I thought about it. I was like, that, that actually makes sense. What am I doing? And I quit my job. And I took on that new job, which was a ministry, which was a sacrifice, which was for the Lord, for the glory of God and the good of others. And, and as I read this and see Paul's energy and the phrases he's using he's putting a little bit of pressure on his audience saying guys there's nobody else in rome that wants to do things so i'm just sending timothy how many people in rome would think read this and be like what well you know maybe they were convicted maybe they were challenged and i believe that the lord is the one to convict and challenge people he'll give calls he'll give invitations he'll tell you what you should and shouldn't do and if you're delighting yourself in the lord he'll give you the desires of your heart and you'll say crazy things like i think we should move here i think we should move there I think we should get involved in this ministry. I think we should do this. This is how ministries are raised up. This is how the gospel goes out. This is how lives are changed. This is how the school's starting here at South Beach Church, by the way. You guys know this. The men and women that are right, being raised up to lead the school are leaving their career paths, leaving their bonuses, leaving their benefits, saying, we'll do this. We'll pioneer the mission for the glory of God and the good of others, for the kingdom, to rescue students from the chaos that's happening in our world, to disciple young people, and this is what the call of ministry is on your life as well. This is the greatest thing you could do with your life is to give it to Jesus and let him do whatever he wants. What's the biggest problem? Look at verse 21. For all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. That's the big hindrance. Jesus said, be careful. Careful. You can gain the whole world and lose your own soul. He said it's possible. 
And in gaining the whole world, wouldn't you think you're like successful? Wouldn't you think you did a good job? I mean, you would think so. But instead, Jesus says, no, no, you need to seek after the things of God, not just the things of this world. Jesus also taught a parable where there was some fruit uh, that was planted along the pathway, and it began to produce fruit, but it was choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And the key to being fruitful in your life is to stay close to Jesus Jesus said, you want to bear fruit? John 15, you want to bear fruit in your life? You want to be fruitful in your marriage? You want to be fruitful in your ministry? You want to be fruitful with your life? Stay close to me and I will be faithful to prune you and to bear more fruit through you. By the way, isn't it cool, that invitation just to stay close to Jesus? Get closer to Jesus and you'll be more fruitful. He'll show you things. He'll peel back those layers. He'll convict you. He'll help you to stay focused He'll call some of you to full-time ministry. He'll call some of you to leading a life group. He'll call some of you to sacrifice something. And when you get to heaven, having given anything to the kingdom of heaven, you're not going to regret it. Imagine getting to heaven. What? I volunteered at the school? What? And all I get is this mansion? What a chip. No one's going to be complaining. It's going to be greater than you could ever imagine. It's going to be greater than anything that you could ever have here on earth. Paul, though, says there's nobody like-minded who will sincerely care for you except Timothy. Look at verse 22. Not only do we need to stay close to Jesus in order to produce fruit, he says, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Notice he didn't serve others, but he served the gospel. We've talked about this over the years as we study the scriptures here at South Beach Church. That your life, your ministry, your sacrifice, your giving has to be to Jesus, not to people. If it is to people, it's a weak link. People will let you down. Ministries will fade. Men and women will offend you. You know who will not? Jesus Christ in the gospel. And when you serve the gospel with others, don't serve others in the gospel, serve the gospel with others. Okay? You will have your eyes purified. You will have your mind stayed on the things that matter most. And you make that decision. And you have a heart that is for others to love them and to care for them. As a son with his father, I like that example. Paul's like, he's like my son. And the way that he served, his purity, his dedication, his love to the gospel, I could trust him in anything. It reminds me of the father in heaven and the son on earth. That the Father sent His Son to serve and to give Himself for this earth in that pure way. And what Paul is saying is, I want men and women to truly love me and to serve the church. A couple years ago, I was at Calvary Chapel Corvallis and we were there for a staking study. And Phil Comer was there speaking from a Jesus church in Portland. And, and I brought a couple guys from our church there. And I remember I was talking to Phil and their church was in the midst of a pastoral search. They didn't have a teaching pastor at the time. And, and I mentioned something to him. I said, man, finding a good teaching pastor isn't as easy as most people think it is and he actually said oh no that's the easy part i said really he said yeah we got lots of teaching pastors we got lots of teaching pastors at our church that's not the hard part the hard part is finding shepherds the hard part is a hard part is finding people that actually care people that will give themselves over to people not just want to seek their own self-interest or come across as knowing something or having something to present but actually loving people first corinthians 4 15 paul writes to the church in corinth and he says it this way he says for though you might have ten thousand instructors in christ yet you do not have many fathers he goes on and says for in christ jesus i've begotten you through the gospel what paul's saying is i look at you guys as my kids 
People can tell you what's right and wrong all they want. They can teach you all kinds of things. What we need is fathers and mothers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fathers and mothers of one another where we really care about each other. Where our sincerity is for other people's and their well-being and for them to keep growing. And Paul has this mindset in him that people would grow. He's sending Timothy to them. Look, let's keep uh, studying for context. He says, verse 23, he says, Therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord. I myself shall also come shortly. Stop right there. I up here. Paul's crazy, isn't he? He's in jail. He's being sentenced to death. He's like, yeah, but I'm probably going to get out, right? Right? And if I do, I'm coming to Philippi because I love you guys. <laughs> and they read, read this, they're like, are you serious? Paul, you're crazy. He's a can-do kind of guy. How many of you guys know a can-do kind of person in your life? Well, you can just, they can do. I have a philosophy in ministry and a philosophy in life, and it's if I can do it, I will. If I can't do it, I won't. But even if I can't do it, I'll probably tell you I can. I've tried to be at two places at one time. You ever tried to do that before? I've, try, I've, I've tried to be at, I've thought about it. I like, we can do it as long as we have, you know, a little bit of, you know, thing. I can do two places at once. And Paul here is in jail. He's like, I can't wait to send Timothy. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be there too. I, I, I don't know how, but I'm going I'm to do my best. I trust the Lord. And it's a can-do mindset, and you can only have a can-do mindset if you have trust in the Lord and the willingness to then sacrifice your life for others as well. This takes, again, keeping your eyes on Jesus who gave himself completely to this world as an example and as a gift. And, and I'll just tell you what, there's this stoppage in our life of serving others. I don't know all the answers. I can't help people. I can't host a life group. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm busy. I, I don't want to, I don't have all the answers. If I invite people over, it's going to be hard. If I invite people over, I have to love them, and I just don't love people. Right? <laughs> Someone's taking notes. I don't love people. You know, it's like, there's all these excuses that we have, and I'm just going to say this. Don't believe the hype that because you can't do everything that you shouldn't do something. Sometimes we're like, well, there's too much problem, there's too much going on, there's too many people. Okay, don't do nothing, do something. You can't do everything. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do nothing. And it could be real small things. Just reach, what, what, what can you do? Yesterday, right before the power went out, I pulled into J.C. Market, and I was sitting in my car, and I was going to J.C. Market specifically to buy communion elements, to buy some, some juice and some bread for the wedding that I was going to conduct after the memorials on the way to but I saw this guy standing out in front of J.C. Market and he had his hand out like this and he looked like he'd missed a couple nights of sleep and he was, he was counting the coins in his hand, just kind of having trouble doing so. So I made a decision. I was like, I wonder what he's buying. I wonder what he's buying. And I would like to help him buy whatever he's buying. And so I, I followed him in the store. I kind of just walked around, you know, and, and he grabbed some donuts and he grabbed a, you know, a breakfast sandwich. And, and then I lost him when the power went out and he went somewhere else, you know. And, 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 I, and I finished my purchase and I went back in my car and I sat in my car. And the Lord said, what are you doing? I asked you to go buy that guy his, his stuff. I said, oh yeah, I forgot. So I went back in there and I found him again. He was walking down some aisle, you know, and, and, I, and I followed him. I said, hey, is that all you're getting? He had like three or four things. He said, yeah, that's all I'm getting. I said, do you want anything else? I said, the Lord told me to come back in here and to pay, pay for your stuff. He said, and, and I didn't even, and he said, oh, thanks, Pastor Luke. I didn't even know. I was like, oh, he knows me, you know. <laughs> ah, you know. And it was just, it was a couple bucks and it wasn't that big a deal. But it was in Jesus' name and I told him that. And you could tell he's, had a few, few missed nights of sleep. I don't know where, what his situation is. And I said, hey, this is so Jesus, so you don't ever forget that Jesus loves you, that the Lord's for you. He's got a plan for you. 
Little things. Little things. And I don't share that by way of boasting. I share that way by encouraging you. What would the Lord put on your heart? How would the Lord have you to serve? What would the Lord have you to give? Paul here is in jail. He says, I hope to send him to you at once as I see what, well, I'm going to see how it goes with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. I'm so convicted by Paul and his desire to do everything and to help people in their time of need. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys are naturally selfish? You're just selfish people, okay? <laughs> Some of you guys are really struggling. I get it. And when the Lord asks you to get married, asks you to raise kids, asks you to love your neighbor, asks you to, to get a job, asks you to, to, to live in society. He does so so you can get over your selfishness, so you can serve others. It's so easy to get myopic. It's so easy to get shut down. It's so easy to get hurt. If anybody could spaz out and say, this is bogus, this is baloney, this is ridiculous, it's Paul. And Paul's like, How about, oh, I'm in jail for a couple months? I bet I could write some letters. How hard was it to write letters back in Paul's day? Not easy, okay, just so you know. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I gotta text that person, but my thumbs hurt. You know what I'm saying? And Paul here is dedicated, and he's sending Timothy. Guys, not just Timothy, but we're gonna end now with a little case study on Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. These are examples that we should learn from, uh, Jesus and Paul and Timothy. He says, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you'd heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on all, me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Stop right there, eyes up here. Epaphroditus was the pastor at the church at Philippi. Pa pastor Paul started the church and Epaphroditus was in charge and the church in Philippi knew that Paul was in trouble so they took an offering, got some money together and said, hey, we need to give this to Paul. Anybody want to take an 800 mile field trip? And Epaphroditus volunteered. And so he went all the way to Rome and on the way to Rome he got so sick he almost died. Yet he didn't die and he'd been with Paul longer than anticipated. So now the church in Philippi knew he was sick and almost dead. They were heartbroken about the whole thing. So Paul says, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you guys because he's a faithful man that came here. He's my faithful brother, and he's my faithful servant, and he's my fellow soldier as well. Look at verse 25. He says, I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my fellow brother. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul gives four different descriptions to Epaphroditus. A brother a servant, a soldier, and a messenger. Within each one of those is a sermon. But the first one, he says, he's my brother. He realized that Christianity is more than just about the message and the mission of Jesus, but it's about the family of God. Did you know that the message and mission of Jesus is that there is a family of God? It's so pure. Jesus is king over a bunch of people that are his brothers and sisters. And when you realize this about Christianity, I mean, just think around. I, look, I, I know most of you guys here today, I, I, I know you because you've been going to church here for a while, and we see each other as brothers and sisters. Now, I only have one sister, a biological sister. Her name's Erin. She lives in Beaverton. She's pretty cool. You guys know my sister, Erin, you know? And we're pretty cool. But in Christ, I have lots of sisters. I have more sisters than I can count. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, hey, when you see a, a woman, I want you to treat her as your sister. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a beautiful thing? And when you see the men, I want you to treat them as your brothers. 
I don't have any biological brothers, okay? And in, 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 in Christ, I have more than I can imagine. And in Christianity, he says, we're, we're together. There's no greater bond. Now, if you're a Blazer fan, you see another Blazer fan, like, we're Blazer fans. Like, it's pretty cool, you know? You see a, you see a beaver or a duck, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's like, it's kind of cool, you know? <laughs> Golden State Warriors, whatever, you know? But when you're a Christian, there is a connection that is so pure and that is such a joy and that is the mission and message of Jesus Christ. Let's not ever forget that. As a matter of fact, let's exploit that and love each other and honor each other as brothers and sisters even more. Epaphroditus, by the way, Jesus is the Savior. Paul's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Timothy has a Gentile dad and a Jewish mom. Did you know Epaphroditus is a pure Gentile? He's not even on the team. He's way out to lunch and he gets saved and Paul says, oh yeah, that's my brother. That's my brother. And if you're a believer here, you're my brother or sister as well. And we can be closer than a brother through what Jesus did. Look at verse 25. He says, Yet I consider to send to you Epaphroditus, my fellow, uh, my brother, but also my fellow worker. Not only is there a family to enjoy, but there's a work to participate in. How many of you guys have realized that furthering the gospel is work? That there's not, it's not something we do passively, it's something we do actively. And if you're a Christian here, like Epaphroditus or Timothy or Paul, there are things to be done and there are ways that God's going to use you to make sure that other people get saved as well. And if it feels like you're in a battle, he calls him a fellow soldier because we're under attack. How many of you guys every once in a while just feel like you're under attack, like you're being assaulted by the enemy or just like things are against you? That's because they are. There's a war going on. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but demons and principalities. And he says that to these guys, he is their messenger and the one who ministered to my need. I wonder if Paul told them that he ministered to his need, lest they have any sort of questions or accusations against him because he'd been gone so long. Verse 26, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you, heard, because you had heard that he was sick. Stop right there, eyes up here. Epaphroditus is stressing out because they sent a message back to Philippi that he'd almost died. And so he knows that in Philippi, they're worried about him he's worried about them because they're worried about him the heck's going on here you know this is, this is why god invented texting so we could be like i'm good you know and he's worried about him so he aphrodite says can i go back and let them know i'm good because i don't want them to stress out anymore his heart and concern was for them look at verse 27 for indeed he was sick almost unto death but god had mercy on him and not only on him but also on me lest i should have sorrow upon sorrow paul said that god healed epaphroditus so that way none of us would be heartbroken look at verse 28 therefore i sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Verse 29. As I was studying this through over the week and really putting some time in yesterday morning and after all the events I had to do and just studying all night, looking at Paul's heart toward the church at Philippi, he's sending Epaphroditus back. He's sending Timothy to them. He promised that one day he'd be back there as well. And it's really all about relationships. And he says, when this guy gets back, I want you to esteem him and others like him high. I want you to appreciate them. And as you appreciate the men and women around you, okay, you'll be more like the kingdom of God. You'll be more like Jesus Christ. And I think we, especially on the Oregon coast, have a grand opportunity to appreciate each other, to love each other, to grow in fellowship and relationship with each other. But every once in a while, you have to pause. You have to be reminded. Yesterday at the memorial, it was at the Fisherman's Memorial there at Chicken Point. 
and there was about 30 or 40 people that were there, and it was Mark, Mark Chase uh, passed away, uh, I think in November, um, so we, or earlier this year, and so we did his memorial yesterday, and as the family showed up, so, so did the Marines. The Marines drove over from the valley, and there were three Marines that drove over, and they did the military honors. If you've ever been to a military funeral, they had the military honors there, and man, it was intense as they marched the Marines, as they walk in, you know, all slow like robots, or, you know, I'm sure there's a different word for it than robots, and then they, they walk in, and then they had the flag in the salute as Taps was playing, and they unfolded, and there wasn't a dry eye in the, in, in the pavilion there as we considered. He received a Purple Heart in uh, Vietnam and was injured uh, and, uh, as we esteemed him. And as the community came around, just one person, did you know that the Lord created you in his image and you deserve that same esteem? That same appreciation. We're in a real busy culture. Everything's fast. Everything's furious. Everything's knuckle bumps and you know fist bumps and acronyms and texts and emojis and we're real quick. And yet, as I was studying this last night, I was thinking, Lord, I just want to esteem others. I want to appreciate every man, every woman, not just people of the household of faith, especially those of the household of faith, but the every man and woman in our community that God's allowed us to live next to. And he says, receive him therefore in the Lord, verse 29, with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Final verse, final thoughts, verse 30. He says, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death not regarding his life, and to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Paul tells us this man was willing to give it all for Jesus, to give it all for me. Paul was so blessed and humbled that Epaphroditus risked it all and almost died in order that he might would supply what he lacked, which was the offering that they had put together from the church at Philippi. And he says that he did this for the work of Christ. He came close to death. Verse 30 says, not regarding his life. Literally, it means risking his life. And there was a group of people in this day from this verse, from this phraseology that were known as the gamblers. And they were men and women who would give their life in such a way that no matter what it cost, they would live for him. And they were known as the gamblers and they would go into leper colonies and they would go to remote islands and they would go on mission trips and they'd say, you know what, if we go to this area, there's a risk. There's actually a chance we're going to die. There's a chance that we're going to get some disease. There's a chance we're going to get arrested. There's a chance we're going to get killed. But we're willing to risk it. As I was studying some of the historical... uh, men and women that, that lived this type of lifestyle. I couldn't help but be convicted in our sanitized Christianity. Speaking of sanitizer, you guys like sanitizer? I love sanitizer. And there were men and women who would say, you know, there's a leper colony over there, so who's going to minister to them? Well, nobody's going to go over there. Well, I'll do it. Well, if you, go, you can't come back. I don't want to come back. And men and women would give of their lives island of Molokai in Hawaii and they would live in that area and serve and they would send more lepers and more people who were destined to die and there were men and women there to receive them and to care for them there's the story of the Moravian missionaries and the Moravian missionaries years and years ago knew of slave trading and slave industries and nobody was allowed to preach the gospel in these slave areas and so these Moravian brothers said you know what if, what if we become slaves what if we sell ourselves into slavery could we go you know work alongside of these slaves and and tell them about Jesus and their love. And their family said, why would you do that? You'll never get out once you... And they said, we want to do it. And they gave of their lives. They said, we'll do it. We'll give everything we have for the cause of Christ. For the glory of God and the good of others. 
And Paul says, when you meet Epaphroditus, when he comes back, esteem him. When you see Timothy, esteem him. When you see men and women that live this way, may you esteem them. And I would say beyond that, may we esteem ourselves to be like that. May the Lord convict each one of us, myself included, of the areas in my life where I say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't really want to go that crazy. I don't want to get that involved. I don't want to be that committed. And may the Lord use examples like this to stir us up. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to ask you guys to close your eyes. And I'm going to trust the Lord to give us calls, to give us commissions, to give us conviction. One of the last things I, I, I hate doing as a pastor is putting trips on people and making people feel guilty in any way. That's, that's not, I can't do that. But the Lord will call you. The Lord has raised you up for such a time as this to serve in the way that only He has designed you to serve, to respond to the things that God is putting in front of you right now. It could be family. It could be a ministry. It could be something at this church. It could be something at some other church. It could be you simply saying, Lord, take my life, take my career, take my time, my talent, my treasure, take everything I have because one day I'm going to stand before you and soon this life will pass and only things done for Christ will last. And Paul's given me this example. Paul's given me this charge. Paul, who should be passing out, instead is making plans, saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send Timothy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show up myself. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do these things because I'm not going to rust out. I'm going to burn out. I'm going to keep going for God's glory and for others' good. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, would you give us those calls as well maybe there's a brother or sister here who's already deeply involved in missions or ministry or prayer or service or giving or worship some sort of thing and you would just say good job i see you i see you abide in me and i in you and i will slowly prune you and you'll produce more fruit maybe there's somebody here who's just kind of playing it safe well i don't want to go crazy and you would say look it has been appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment Let me use your life. Let me use your gifts. Let me use your talents. Let me use you. And all you have to do is surrender. God will take you faithfully and he will show you what to do next. Matter of fact, I want to give you an opportunity here who want to surrender your life in that way and it's up between you and the Lord and say, Lord, use me in whatever way you see fit. May I not want my own self-interest but the interests of others. If that's you, would you raise up your hand right now and just say, yeah, Lord, you can have my marriage. You can have my singleness. You can have my business. You can have my talents. You can have my life because you gave it to me. And raise up your hand and give it back to him in Jesus' name. Lord, my hands are up too. And I repent of those areas where I said, well, not this stuff and not that stuff. Lord, forgive us for thinking that we know best. Lord, you know what's best. And you know how much time is left, Lord, that it could just be another week left. We don't know. So Lord, we surrender. Use our lives. Use us. You can put your hands down. The Bible says that if you let God use you that he will constantly replenish you he will fill you back up you will become a vessel of honor used for others to grow in the grace and knowledge of jesus christ lord i thank you for men and women of the scriptures who gave their lives to be used i think of esther who for such a time as this said yeah i'll risk it all i think of nehemiah who petitioned the king and said yeah use me i'll I'll go off my map i think of gideon lord abraham So many men and women say, yeah, use me however you want. And I pray that this church would raise up, Lord, a generation of missionaries and of people, Lord, who are service-minded for others that we would sincerely care, Lord, like Timothy did. Would you give us that? 
Would you anoint us to be like Jesus? Thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven us and you love us just as we are. Would you bless us the rest of the day? I pray, Lord, blessings on the open house. I pray you'd encourage, Lord, the men and women who've already given and sacrificed and stepped up to serve. And as others come to the open house and come in and just say, we just came to pray. We just wanted to see what's going on. I wanted to encourage you and say, we see what you're doing and we want you to continue to go. May there be encouragement today. May there be a blessing and we trust you, Lord, because it's your mission, not our own. We believe that you're going to finish what you began. So bless us, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said? Amen. amen and amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. We'll see you at 3 o'clock. I'll be there, man at a table. Come talk to me. I'll have coffee at my table and some more information how you guys can get involved. And there's other tables that will be there for you. Face painting, popcorn, cookies, candy, all that stuff's happening. Kids playing outside. It's going to be a party. 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock today. Other than that, God bless you. You are dismissed.